All right. So we are in a series right now called Doubting God, where we're asking the really, really hard questions, where we're not shying away from those hard questions. Because as we learned last week, hard questions are a good thing. That in fact, God could use some of those questions that we might have to grow our faith rather than tear our faith down completely. In fact, last week we learned that our doubts don't disqualify our faith. And we learned for that from the story of Thomas, that just because we have doubts doesn't mean that somehow we're, we're not able to be used by our Heavenly Father, or that somehow we are less than those who manage to have big, crazy amounts of faith. In fact, a little bit, a little bit of a doubt may actually be a catalyst to a greater or to a deeper faith. And we learned all that last week. And this week we're going to co- cover something else that is very, very, very important. But before we get there, um, I don't know if, if those of you that know anything about me, you, know, you could probably understand this. And if my wife was in here, she would amen this, amen me. Um, but I don't like to fail. I don't like to fail. I don't like to lose. I'm not the best loser in the world. I'll just be completely honest with you guys. Like I've been, God has been ministering to me sometimes to be better in losing, but I'm not great at it. So if the Ohio State Buckeyes lose, don't talk to me about it. You don't want to talk to me that day. If I'm a little sour in church that next day, you know what happened, right? But I don't, I don't, I don't like to lose. I don't like to fail, to be honest. In fact, I get very, very frustrated when I feel like I have failed. And I feel like I didn't live up to the standard or I wasn't able to make it. And in fact, I would bet that None of us really enjoy failing, right? Maybe some of us handle it better than others, but none of us really enjoy failing. Because when we fail, our confidence takes a hit, doesn't it? Our confidence takes a huge, huge hit. And it's not all the time, but there are some times when there's that little voice in the back of your head, and you guys know this voice. The voice when you fail says, are you sure you can do that? The voice says, maybe you aren't capable. When you fail or you feel like you failed, that voice says something like, maybe you're not good enough. And then what happens when you feel like you failed God? That voice changes, right? That voice says things like, your parents were right, you won't amount to anything. Your friends in school, they were right, you're never going to make it. And ultimately, people begin to feel that way about God too. Where when we fail God or we sin or we fall off the wagon or we backslide, pick your, pick your word that you want to use, when that starts to happen, we immediately feel like we're not good enough sometimes. And we feel like we aren't capable. And then, again, that voice shifts its tone. It says things like, you're too broken for God. See, he, he can't heal you. He can't help you. He's not interested in your life. He doesn't want anything to do with you. You're not worth his time. Or maybe he's not even there. And if he is, maybe he's just reading a newspaper in the next room and not concerned about what you got going on in your life. Or this is the worst one, and this is the one that we all fall victim to. You can't bring that kind of sin in the church. You got to get that together before you show up on Sunday. You can't bring that kind of sin to the church. And for many people, failure or struggle feels like an end to their faith and that their faith can't be built. However, that is so far from 
the truth. And today I'm going to talk about, last week we talked about Thomas. Today I'm going to talk about another name, another person, another disciple that you're going to know right off the bat. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, you're going to know right off the bat who I'm talking about. And you're going to know some stories about the individual that I'm talking about. Today, we're going to learn that no matter where you are on your faith journey, because that's what it is, it's a faith journey. You never make it all the way, okay? It's not like you finally reach the finish line of faith, and there's St. Peter standing there and going to give you a trophy. Maybe at the end of your life that happens, but while you're on this side of glory, it's not going to happen. You're constantly going to be working, learning, and figuring things out. So no matter where you are in your faith journey, we're going to remember today and we're going to find out today that you belong here. Wherever your faith journey is leading you, wherever it is and whatever you're going through, you belong here. And those voices that are going to tell you that you don't belong and those voices that are going to tell you you're not good enough, they aren't from God. And we're going to find out more about that because, listen to me, if you don't hear anything else through the entire message and you fall asleep because you didn't have any of our delicious coffee out there, then, listen, you are not too broken for God. You are not too broken for God. He actually specializes in broken. So, We're going to jump right into our text today, so we're going to be moving through the gospel of Matthew a little bit, and we're going to start with the feeding of the 5,000, okay? So the feeding of the 5,000 was a real, this was like one of the big, big deals in Jesus' ministry. It's one of the things that he became known for across the area of Galilee. Now, he is right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and if you guys remember the story, Philip came up and said, Lord, we need to send these people away so they can get something to eat. And then Jesus says, you feed them. And he's like, with what? You're a traveling rabbi, homie. Like, what am I going to feed them with? And then he says, well, go see if you can find something. And if you remember, he brings back the loaves and the fish. And then as soon as he brings back the loaves and the fish, Jesus then performed the miracle. And then this is the part of the story we don't often think about. That's where Jesus stopped. The text tells us the disciples gave out the food. So they brought to Jesus what they had. He put the super on their natural, and then after that, they take the food and they feed the people. That is what we need to start thinking about when we start thinking about our interactions with God. We need to stop thinking about us being the power source. Jesus was the power source. They were simply the conduit. But if those disciples would not have fed those people, we don't know that they would have been fed. If they wouldn't have gone out and found the loaves and two fish, we don't know if they would have been fed. So our work and what we do, our partnership that God invites us into every day is so important. But after the feeding of the 5,000, that's where we're going to pick it up. After the feeding of the 5,000, big miracle, all the disciples were involved. They were handing out bread and, and fish with Jesus, powerhouse, top of the line faith moment, right? And immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd, the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, you got to get the scene to really understand this. 
This is a smaller boat. This isn't a giant, you know, battle cruiser that we have today. This certainly wasn't the type of ship that we came across, that the people came across from Europe on. This was a smaller ship. It was probably a fishing boat. It wasn't a full ship at all. The Sea of Galilee was known for having gusts, huge gusts of wind come up and blow and cause a storm really quick. And those storms would come up fast and you wouldn't be able to tell when they were coming. And they would leave just as quickly. So this, this was always a risk for fishermen. And here's the thing. There's fishermen in this boat. So if, if the fishermen are scared, you've got a problem, right? It, we got a huge, huge issue. And, and so this was commonplace. The fishermen knew and everybody else knew. This would happen. These storms would come up and these boats would be taken down by these storms. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. I like how like Matthew just like breezes by that. He doesn't give any more context. He just like, Jesus walking on water, it was a normal thing. And you're like, hold on, that's not normal, Matt. Stop it. What is wrong with you? But he continues, he says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Of course they were. There's a human walking on the water. And then they said what any of us would say, it's a ghost because humans don't walk on water. These, these are the, the things that we hear, and we just go, oh, it's in the Bible. Like, I can't believe, why were they so afraid? He was walking on water. He, looked, he probably did look like a ghost. After the storm they just went through, it was ins- insanity. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Oh, well, thank goodness, Jesus, I'm not afraid anymore. Took care of that fear problem right away, right? It's just like when you're scared of something and the pastor tells you, just pray about it. Just, oh, thanks, man. I feel great now, right? Some of you are like, you sent that text to me before. You're welcome. All right. The Lord, and and Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You've little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, this section where it says, why did you doubt, or you have little faith, why did you doubt, I want you to hear that in a different, con- in probably a different tone than you've heard it before. Because a lot of times we hear that, and if you grew up in a traditional church, you hear that is, oh, come on, Peter, if you wouldn't have doubted, you wouldn't have sank, right? Like, you've probably heard it like that. I know I did. But I just want to stop for a second, because most scholars believe the, the way that Jesus is, the way that Matthew writes it here, it leads it more to be of a, of a joking manner. In fact, I see Jesus and I can almost hear Jesus go, come on, man, you were walking on the water. What happened? I mean, come on, Peter. Why did you doubt you, you were just on the water? I mean, come on, man. Like, I don't hear it as a, a horrible rebuke. Oh, Peter, I can't believe you. It doesn't sound like that at all. It sounds more like Jesus is asking him, why did you doubt? Come on. You've seen me do it. Come on. I just just fed 5,000 people. You saw me walking on the water. Dude, you were walking on the water. Come on, man. Why did you doubt? 
Now, notice, this is just an important sidebar, that Peter, the guy we all know, St. Peter, right, Garden of Pearly Gates, so they tell us, uh, the guy who would lead the church after Jesus' ascension had doubts as he was walking on the water. In the power of Christ, he had doubts. Takes us to our point last week, your doubts don't disqualify your faith. Here's another point. Jesus didn't let him sink. He didn't let him sink. Jesus didn't sit back and go, ha ha, loser. Right? Some of you guys, maybe that's the Jesus you grew up with. Maybe the Jesus you grew up with said, ha, look at that guy, sinking like a just a weakling, sinking in the water. Like, no, that Jesus didn't do that. He reached down and picked him up immediately, it says. Immediately is what the text says. That Jesus came to him right away. And it was in a, in a loving manner. He, he reached down and lifted him up. Walking on the water, Peter doubted. Let's look at another story from our man, Pete. This one's going to be in Matthew chapter 16. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, you say the son, who do they say the Son of Man is? And this was the question. Son of Man was like code for Messiah. Jesus sits back and he wants to know what his disciples think. Hey guys, come on, gather around real quick. Hey, uh, before we start singing Kumbaya and do all the fun stuff we do and tons of miracles, I just want to ask you a question real quick. Uh, who do people say I am? Well, who, who do people say I am? And Jesus wants to know. And so, he, did they say I'm the Messiah? Like, what's going on here? And you see, they give him a response. They say, well, Jesus, some say John the Baptist. Some others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, or maybe even one of the prophets. This was a common viewpoint that the prophets would eventually come back. It was a misinterpretation of the ancient Hebrew scriptures, where some of the common folk believed that the prophets would come back at the time of, of retribution, or the time of the Messiah. So that's what they, I don't know, Jesus, like maybe Elijah came back, maybe Jeremiah, maybe one of the other prophets. We're not really sure, Jesus. Uh, and then he stops, he says, okay, well, hold on a second. What about you, though? What do you, who, who, who do you say I am? And listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, this might be the most, most important question you ever answer in your life. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, Jesus' proclamation here is both theological and practical, okay? So, as a Protestant from our tradition, we believe that it's on the confession of faith that Peter made, okay? Peter made the confession of faith that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so there's the theological part of it where Jesus says, on that confession of faith, I'm going to build the entire gathering. Not even church. Church is a German word that was not the best translation. It was ecclesia, which just meant gathering of people. 
So just, I'm going to build a gathering around that one proclamation that I am the son of the living God. So that's theologically what Jesus means. It's giving us a peek behind the curtain. But practically, he's talking about Peter. Because does anybody remember who preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost? Does anybody? Anybody remember who it was? It was Peter. Thousands got saved because Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And from everything we can tell, Peter was the de facto leader for the church moving forward after the ascension of Christ. That, that Paul was planting churches, Peter was holding the whole thing together from best we can tell until he was crucified. So we see both the theological implications on this confession of faith, Peter, and based on you, you're going to lead. And it's going to be real hard to lead this organization, Peter. It's going to be real hard to get these churches going, Peter. It's going to be a whole lot of energy and exercise. I mean, you're going to be tired. But Peter, I'm going to build the church through your effort and your work. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, meaning I'm going to entrust you with the gospel, Peter. And you're going to be the first one after my ascension, Peter, to preach the gospel to thousands. Peter, I mean, can you imagine? He's got to be on a spiritual high. I mean, come on, if Christ said that to you, if Christ said that to me, I mean, I would be over the moon. Like if he said, Brandon, on this rock, I will build my church, I'd be like, oh, Lord, and I'd like faint. I don't even know what to do, man. But Peter's riding on a spiritual high. And listen, the very next instance. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter, the guy who just, I mean, verses before, just got words from God. I mean, Jesus even said, you know this because God revealed it to you. Just seconds before, Peter was receiving divine words from God. And listen to what Peter does in the next instance. Took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Who rebukes Jesus? Somebody got a little arrogant. They got a little big for their britches. Never, Lord, Peter said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concern. What a turnaround. I mean, from what we can tell in the matter of moments, Peter went from being the rock at which I will build my church to now you're a stumbling block for me and my mission. Peter, get, get behind me. Satan, which is adversary, deceiver. Get behind me. Adversary, deceiver. I mean, you can imagine Peter just, I mean, the wind has to be sucked out of his sails. One minute he's on a spiritual high, the next minute he opened his mouth and he's on a spiritual low. Maybe you can relate. I bet you've had times in your life just like Peter where you just flat failed. You flat failed God. 
And there were times that you let God down, I bet. And, we, you know, we don't talk about those times at church because, you, got, you know, you guys all look good. We all look put together. We all look really nice today. We don't want anybody to know any of our business. I don't want to tell anybody all the problems that I've had and all the sins I've had all week, right? Not interested in that. But if we're being completely honest with one another and maybe even just a little bit honest with ourselves, we've done this. We've let God down. You've let God down. I've let him down. There's been times, I bet, when you knew it was wrong, but you looked at porn anyway. There were were times, I'm sure, that you hurt somebody with your words. And you knew that that's not what Christ would want you to say. And you knew that that's not how God would have you behave. Because, I mean, you know, we talk about it all the time. Love God, love people, right? So so we we talk about it all the time. So, I mean, we knew that that's right or that, that, that that's wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was a physical altercation you had with somebody where maybe you just took it too far, your emotions got the best of you, and you wish you had it back. Or maybe, maybe the, you, know, you said you'd quit, but here you are again. And all the time it feels like you are constantly failing God. And, and, and you feel like the, the distance between you and your heavenly Father is so far. It's probably close to what Peter experienced in that moment. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter fails yet again in the garden. When Jesus is going to be arrested, Peter Peter goes and cuts off the ear of the guard. And if you remember, Jesus says to him, put your sword away. Shall I not drink from the cup the Father has given me? Jesus again says, Peter, you don't understand. Stop. Peter fails again, actually three more times, when he denies Jesus after Jesus is arrested by a a, a middle school girl. Don't you know Jesus? No, I don't know who you're talking about. I've never seen that Jesus guy before. No, 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 I think I saw you with him. No, lady, you didn't see me with Jesus. I don't know anything about that guy. I don't know anything about Jesus. And then the third time, he ran away. Peter, the guy we all connect with, the guy we all love, the guy who half the time we put up as St. Peter, not only did he have doubts, but he let God down, he let Jesus down multiple times. He failed multiple times. In fact, failed all the way up to the moment of crucifixion when he denied Jesus. And Jesus dies and he's raised from the dead. And then Jesus shows himself to his disciples. You guys remember that from last week with our story from Thomas? Thomas says, I ain't going to believe it till I see it. And Jesus goes, see it, homie. Holes in my hands, holes in my rib. I'm back, right? Maybe it wasn't, that was, a, that was a little bit of a, you know, 1980s movie kind of interpretation of it. But it happened something like that. Sometimes I wish we had a translation that did it like that. But somebody will write it. Um, and then after that, Jesus, he connects with the disciples and tells them to meet him at the Sea of Galilee again. Probably, okay, we don't know for a fact, but probably in the same location where this journey started with him three years before. And he meets them there, he takes them out on the boat, and they go fishing, and he catches a huge catch, much like how he got their attention in the very beginning. And he sits down, and he eats breakfast with his disciples 
on the beach again. And he says this, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now the question is, is what is he talking about? Is he talking about the fish? Is he talking about his career? Maybe he's talking about the other disciples. We're not really sure exactly what he's talking about, but what's most important is Peter's response. Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus, there's no question. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Now, I imagine Peter was also pretty angry. Jesus, come on, I already said it. I love you. Of course I do. Come on. And then Peter responds this way, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you. Someone else will lead you to where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus ends this whole section, this whole interaction with Peter in front of the disciples too. Okay, this is called Peter's reinstatement. He follows it up with the same phrase he gave Peter in the beginning, the same phrase he hit all of his other disciples with when he was recruiting them. He just looked and said, follow me. And, and, and maybe Peter sat back and said, God, Lord, you don't know. I failed. And Jesus says, okay, yeah, no, that's fine. Do you love me? Peter goes, yeah, okay, well, then follow me. And maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe the whole reason that you're even thinking about it is because you sit back and you go, there's no way I could have this. There's, there's no way that God would take me back. And you start thinking through your head all the things that you've done. You start thinking through the, your head all the ways God won't accept you. And you'll say, yeah, but doesn't the Bible say? But yeah, doesn't this say? And yeah, didn't I disobey? And yeah, don't I have sin in my life? And yeah, don't I have this? And I think the question just becomes the same question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? And if the answer is yes, then I think the invitation is the same that he gave Peter. Then follow me. Notice Jesus didn't look at Peter and go, hold on, do you have your act together, Peter? I just want to check. You get Peter... Do you have it all together now? Because I'm really tired of you failing. I'm real tired of you messing this up, Peter. Jesus didn't say that. He said, do you love me? And Peter said, yes. Jesus says, then follow me. And I started this message by telling you, you are never too broken for God. And if the answer is, I love you, then the response is, follow me. If the answer is, I love you, then the response is follow me. Jesus makes it so clear. And then, remember, Peter goes on to lead the church. Remember how we talked before Thomas last week? He goes on, doubting Didymus, 
Doubting Diddy, he goes on and, and believes in Jesus and then goes and preaches Jesus and spreads the church through the area of Asia and eventually dies near India, from what we can tell. Peter goes on and becomes the de facto leader of the church, leading it forward. He gets killed, and the way he gets killed, he gets martyred for Christ, and they were going to crucify him, and he said, no, 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 don't crucify me the way you did Jesus. Crucify me upside down. I don't even, don't even display me the same way you displayed our Lord. I am so not worthy of that. And so that's how he died. But Peter's influence, the way God used him on the day of Pentecost, let alone every other moment, it's almost like God didn't see the things that happened before. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes. And Jesus said, then follow me. You're never too far. You're never too far. You're never too far. No matter what you think you've done, no matter how far you think you've dug the hole, no matter what you've done in your past, no ma- and, and, and I know that if I gave you a microphone and you came up here and talked about it, I mean, maybe some of the things you've done, we would go, wow, that's really bad. Wow, that's really crazy. Like, yeah, sure, maybe there would be that response. But Jesus just said, do you love me? Yes, then follow me. Do you love me? Yes, then follow me. We're not talking about the stuff that's happened in the past. I'm not interested in that. Because in the same way that your doubts don't disqualify your faith, your failures don't disqualify your faith. Your failures do not disqualify your faith. Now, that's not to give you a pass to go out and sin on your own and say, whatever, God's got to forgive me. That's not what that is. It's a reminder that we are all broken. We all have issues. And we are all going to fail God at some point. But your failures do not disqualify your faith. And Peter doubted and he failed. So much so that even in later on in the book of Acts, Peter fails again. When he starts Jesus, they talk about giving the gospel to the Gentiles. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. Not them. And then Jesus gives him the vision. You guys remember the vision in Acts where the sheep falls and there's all the animals on it? And then Jesus says, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And Jesus was saying, it's available for everybody, Peter. You missed the mark again. And then Peter takes that and goes back and abdicates to James and the church in Jerusalem. Your failures don't disqualify your faith. Peter failed consistently. Peter doubted. He denied Jesus at one point. But look at what God was able to do through him. We might not be sitting here right now if Peter hadn't done what Peter did. Imagine for a moment what God could do through you. Imagine what God could do through you if you set aside what's happened in the past. If you set aside the things 
that are separating you and distancing you from your heavenly Father. Because here's the crazy thing. It's just in your head. Jesus just says, do you love me? And if you say yes, then it's not a discussion of, God, I got all these things. And he goes, yeah, no, 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 I know. Come on, bring them on. That's actually what I'm really good at, is when you bring all your problems here. You don't, you don't wait to become a Christian because you've got your life together. Guys, my life was not together when I became a Christian. It was so far from together. It's not really together now. I'm making it up as I go. I've only been 32 one time, so there's that. But it definitely wasn't together before. Being a Christian, you, you, you come to faith not because you got it all together. You come to faith because you recognize you need him. You come to faith because the question, you answer the question that Jesus asked Peter, who do you say the Son of Man is? And when you say that Jesus is the Messiah, and then the next question is, do you love me? And when you say yes, the response is then follow me. Regardless of the past, regardless of what you've experienced, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you're currently struggling with, grace is available for everyone. Even those of us that fail. All you have to do is follow. So, I would be irresponsible if I didn't end this message with an invitation for those who want to follow Jesus. You've never done that before. So, if that's you today and you're like, you know what, I am ready, I'm going to set my failures aside, I'm going to put my faith in Christ. If that's you today, then you can pray a prayer with us here in just a second. But if you've already placed your faith in Jesus and you're struggling with your failures of feeling good enough or worthy before the throne, here's the best part, you're not worthy before the throne but you're made perfect because of Jesus. The blood of Christ has covered you. So set those things aside. They're distraction. Just like Jesus said, repent and sin no more, but don't let it stop you from your relationship with him now. So, as we close today, let's pray. Father, thank you that Matthew and John wrote down the life and these interactions with Peter. These things are faith building, and they're so important, and it's so significant that we don't forget that Peter failed, and we are going to fail. But our failure doesn't disqualify our faith in you. That we can make mistakes, we can fail, but when we do, if we keep our eyes on you, we'll make it through it. So Father, thank you for that. And Lord, I want to pray with anyone who's never placed their faith in Jesus, but would like to place their faith in him today. So Father, we pray with them, that, that we admit we need you. 
We admit that we just need you in our life. We believe that you are the Son of God. When the question, who do they say the Son of Man is, Lord, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And we commit our lives to you, to follow you. And the question of do you love me, Lord, the answer is yes. And we will follow. God, we give you the praise this morning. We give you the love this morning. Help us set aside these failures as they just get in the way of our faith and they tear our faith apart. That we don't have to be good enough to be near you. That you draw us close no matter what condition that we're in. Lord, we love you. We give you all of the praise. And the church said...